It's a beautiful day for the believer when they just let go and understand that it is God in work in them that makes the difference. You can't defeat sin. You can't. Might as well give it up. Trying to to be good, trying to live this Christian life. It is God who works in and through us. Christian life is organic in nature. It's It's almost like it happens on accident. As we focus and rest in Jesus Christ. That's, by the way, that's how you get saved. You get saved when you see for the very first time God has done it all. It's finished. We enter in. It's not, it's not something God wants to do in you. It's something God did for you that's going to play into your life when you believe and receive by faith. God's not doing any new work. You know that? There's no new work that he's doing. The new work is Calvary and the cross of Jesus Christ. It all flows out of the well that bursts forth out of that cross and the sacrifice of God's son. Oswald Chambers says it like this. Get rid of the idea that you must do good things. And remember what Jesus said. If you believe on me, Out of you will flow rivers of living water. The Christian life is never do, do. It's be, be. And I will do through you. Chambers goes on. The type of man produced by the spirit of Jesus is the one that bears a growing family likeness to Jesus Christ. Then he asks a series of questions. Am I getting nobler, better, more helpful, more humble as I get older? Am I exhibiting the life that men take knowledge of as having been with Jesus? Or am I getting more self-assertive, more deliberately determined to have my own way? Then he concludes, it is a great thing to tell yourself the truth. Focused on Jesus Christ, his life is produced in us. Ian Thomas, in a good book called The Saving Life of Christ, writes this. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like hands fitting into a glove, we are the glove. He is the hand. People see us. They see our movements. They see our impact. They feel the squeeze of our life, the warmth of the hand. They can't see him through the glove. And so the glove appears regularly on the surface of life. And people spot it when there is peace in our lives. Because there isn't any peace in this world. Go with me to the last chapter of Joshua. As we conclude our series this morning with an address that Joshua gives the people of Israel in his elder years as he faces death and he wants to encourage them with a message. Chapter 24, the book of Joshua. Joshua has led Israel for years now in the the campaign to drive out the Canaanites and take over the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. 
It's the victorious Christian life. It's that Jesus life in us where he is the hand and we are the glove. It's when Christ is having his way, sin is being defeated. We no longer are petty about things. We no longer are jealous about things, angry about things. So many of you tell me, and I echo that testimony with you, our lives have been changed over the years. We used to respond like this, and, but now we respond like that. And we've got territory to take, but hasn't God done a work? He addresses them in chapter 24 like this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Shechem is a small town between two great mountains, Gehazen and Ebal. It is the place where Abraham built his first altar when he entered Canaan land. God spoke to Abram here at Shechem. A lot of events happened in this town. But for this morning's study, I want you to know that it was a natural amphitheater. The mountains came down and there was an open plain and a man's voice could travel miles. Natural amphitheater. You wonder how, without this thing, how these guys communicated. Well, you you got in places where it did it to your voice. So he gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, and the judges, and the officers of Israel. Do you notice the structure and order in Israel? This wasn't a mob of two million people doing what they wanted. By this time, there was a government in place. There was structure, and it was needed, but you see it there. Oh, I I skipped over the first few words, not mentioning that Joshua gathered the tribes together. He gathered the tribes together. He took this moment in his life to gather his big country family to talk to them about God. Don't miss that. Are we, are we flying through life so rapidly that we don't gather our families and talk about God and talk about God's work? Do your grandchildren know how you got saved? Do your, grandfa- do your grandkids know how that happened? Has God done great things in your life? Has he? Can you look back and see the miracles of God? The doctor said this would never happen and it happened. You you never thought that door would open and God opened that door. Have you talked to your family about that? Have you gathered them together? Do you talk to your mate about it? What Christ means to you? He gathered these tribes together. I'll never forget Grandma Smith. I had a Grandma Smith. She was a typical granny, just short and stocky and, you know, just that granny look to her. And she was getting old and she's fixing to die. And I remember Thanksgiving that she, that she gathered around the Thanksgiving table and started talking about God. It made us all very nervous and awkward because we just didn't talk about God. But she was talking about him. I'll never forget the impact of that. Look, go, move on. Let's move on. Look at verse 2. Oh, the end of verse 1. 
And they presented themselves before God. We're not told how they did that, and I'm glad we're not. What did they do? Did they sing a song? Did they have a prayer? Did they stand? Did they sit? Did they, how did they present themselves to God? We're not told. I like that. Do you know people present themselves to God in different ways? Do you know different people groups worship in different styles and ways? Do you know different denominations do it in different ways? It's all presenting them. So you think God's picky? You think, oh, you know, I really like that. I don't like the way they're doing it. God just wants you to present yourself to God, to him. He wants you to come. I love there's no formulas in scripture of how to pull this off. When I was a kid and I was sitting in a pew, uh, the minister came in with a long robe and, and there was robe people and the choir followed. It was a big p- procession. You know, my, my main goal as a kid was to make my father, who was an usher, laugh as he walked by and collected the offering because you know, they were stiff and they had suits. But this is how they did it. This is how they presented themselves to God. I may come in with a robe someday. Verse 2, and Joshua said to all the people, don't miss this phrase. You don't see it a lot in scripture. Thus saith the Lord. What you're going to read following is the words from God himself. When it says, thus saith the Lord, it means, thus saith the Lord. Now, men can't do this today. This is gone. With the, with the completion of the scripture, no one can say, thus saith the Lord. Can't do it. The Old Testament prophets did it. Isaiah did it. Ezekiel did it. But no preacher gets, up to, gets to get up now and say, this is a word from the Lord. If he does that, he better open the book. And he better read out of it exactly what it says and give the interpretation of what this book says. How can I be so adamant about that? Put your hand there and go to Hebrews chapter 1. Let me give you a basis of what I'm teaching you because you're going to hear a lot of that on TV and radio that I've got a word from the Lord. God spoke to me about a thing and I'm telling you what he wants me, what he wants to say. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I'll just read a few verses to let you know why I believe this is, this is, because it's dangerous, it's dangerous to begin claiming that you're speaking as if God was speaking. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our father's By the prophets. There you go, the prophets. There are no prophets today. There are no apostles today. There are none. They're gone. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, you see that verse 2? But, in these last days, beginning at the day of Pentecost is the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he's appointed heir of all things, God is speaking to us by Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's the communicative power of God. The communication of God is through his son, 
through the word of God. Okay, I beat that horse a little bit. So let's go back to verse 2 of chapter 24. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers, you see how the, see how the, the quote changes? Joshua was not talking about our fathers. God is talking about your fathers. Your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, beyond the great river. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. There you go. Opening statement from the Lord. Your ancestor was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. So much, so much for heritage, huh? So much for family lines you can be proud of. Abraham was an idol worshiper, along with his brother and his father. And he'd been an idol worshiper all of his life, and he would have died an idol worshiper if God hadn't interrupted his life. Catch it? Do you know I was an idol worshiper before I got saved when I was 19 years old? I bowed down to the idol of myself. Sports. The things I wanted to do. I worshiped me. I was an idol worshiper, man. Now, I, did, I had pictures of myself and little statues of myself all over my apartment. No, I didn't do that. I couldn't walk by a mirror. I didn't want to look at it for 20 minutes. We were all idol worshipers, weren't we? Amen. He wants him, these Israelites to remember that for this reason. They were pulled up out of idol worship. That's how their nation began. They went down in Egypt, surrounded by Egyptian gods. They came up in the wilderness. They went into a land of Canaanite gods. They are surrounded by idol worship. See the warning? I called you out of that. Look at verse 2. Terah, the father of Abram, and they served other gods. Verse 3, then I took, notice, then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. I love those three words. Then I took. That's how we got saved. You didn't get saved because you decided to choose Jesus. You got saved because Jesus decided to choose you. He took you out of slavery. He took you out of Egypt. He took you out of idol worship. He took us out of the mud and clay where we were and set our feet on a solid rock. This is what God did. Abram didn't, wasn't down in Ur, the Chaldees. And he goes, you know, I, I, I just think I'm going to seek a different God. God began to talk to Abraham. I met a young fellow named Jeffrey in the last couple of weeks, months or so, um, He's 19 years old. He's got all the, the millennial earmarks of, of, understand, of, of, of misunderstanding God and not understanding truth about life. Uh, the whole um, Darwinism thing, the whole evolution thing, all the answers. And by the way, when you talk to young people, it's all the same stuff they're being fed. 
I said, Jeffrey, God created you. He's walking by me last week when reports of the New York City tragedy came out. And he walked by me and he said, what's wrong with people? I said, Jeffrey, I could tell you, but you wouldn't like it. He turned around and I said, Jeffrey, man is sinful. And there began a series of questions from Jeffrey about sinfulness and Christ and the cross. He asked me, when did you? And I said, when I was 19. He said, what made you decide to go in that direction? I said, because a man sat down with me and told me that Christ died for me. I couldn't get it off my mind. And I walked away and turned around and I said, Jeffrey, Jesus died for you. The last day I saw him, he shook my hand and thanked me and prayed for him that he'll come to Christ. His heart's open. He took Abraham. He took me. He took you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he wants to take you. I love that. Now, we're going we're gonna to slide through here because we're going to get through with this address. But I want you to so hang on because I want to show you a series of things. I took your father from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Sheher to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt just in passing, I want you to notice I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. You don't get children. God gives you children and gives us. God gave me John. God gave John, Benny, to John. And it goes on and on. Children are a gift from God, and he gives them. Verse 5, and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt. For sake of, for sake of a sliding reference, look at verse 3 and follow with me. Then I took, I gave, I gave, I gave Esau. Verse 5, I sent, I plagued, I did, I brought you out. Verse 6, I brought your fathers out. You can go on and on in the passage. I did it. Verse 8, I brought you to this land. You see that? See what he's drilling in their minds? This is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did. You weren't involved other than believing and following me. I did this. See? Trap of thinking we want to pull this thing off and make a difference. Better to rest in what God's doing, is it not? Notice down to verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan and they fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession and I destroyed them before you. Verse 11, you went over the Jordan, you came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you and against the Amorites and Parasites and the... uh, uh, Canaanites and the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Hivites and the Jesuitites and, and I gave them into your hand. Verse 12 is kind of fascinating. And I sent the hornet before you. Uh, you ever been stung by a hornet? 
That thing don't, that, 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 that'll stay with you for a while. Uh, the other morning, I warned you about the educational building. The other morning, I've, I've got gas head, hedge clippers, and I love this. It's my newest toy. You know, just, I hopefully won't lose any of these doing it. So I, 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 I've been dying to, to take down those shrubbery a bit, and, but they're filled with wasps. They're filled with hornets. So I went out with a, with a stick early in the morning, about 6 in the morning. I went to beating them, beating them, up and down, beating them. Not a, not a movement of a wasp, right? And so I, was, I got about 80% done. I got on the backside where that air conditioner was. I got about halfway down. I saw a couple fly up, and I thought, well, I'm not even going to take a chance. So I backed off. I was going to come back later and give it a shot. Those things must have been sleeping because when I came back in the afternoon, there were a thousand wasps going crazy over that entire front of that building. I couldn't even get in the door. Let's talk about stirring up a wasp nest. I must have cut them down. I guess before dawn and after dusk, they just kind of chill out and let you do what they want. Those things woke up. I had destroyed their homes. Can you imagine fighting Israel and swarms of hornets come? God has a way, doesn't he? God can win the victory. Story has nothing to do with spiritual application. I just, it was, it was, it meant something to me. Notice verse 13. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. Notice, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities that you had not built, and you live in them, you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards you did not plant. Isn't that beautiful? Now you notice in verse 14, it goes back to Joshua. Now therefore fear the Lord. Now Joshua's talking, which is the same word of God as we just mentioned, but there's a shift in, in the speaker. You need to remember and know that everything about Christianity has been bought and purchased for you, that all the work is God's. We eat fruit that we did not plant. We live in safety of the blood and love and security of Jesus Christ because he purchased that for us. We are going to step out of this life into heaven, to the courts of heaven, and walk down streets of gold that we had nothing to do with building up. We are recipients, are we not? couple things. There he is. Leave behind you clarity. Make it very clear for your family and friends what you believe. Leave behind clarity. They need to know what Christ means to you. If you're not born again here today, if you're not saved, what a great day to give your heart to Christ and begin a heritage that you can share. Everybody around you is watching, you know that? Uh, Lorelai and Landon were in the back seat of the truck and I heard Landon just giggling out, out, of, out of control. And I look back and Lorelai was bobbing her head and saying, all right. And I realized after a few minutes she was mocking, she was making fun of me. Or she was imitating me. When I, when I listened to James Taylor or some good music, you know, whatever, I, 
When it comes on, I go, all right, all right. So she was saying, all right, all right. And she was bobbing her head like that. And I'm sure she was pointing to Pop and looking at Landon going, yeah, all right, all right. And he was just laughing and giggling. Funny stuff. You will leave behind you. Leave behind clarity. Let him know what Christ means to you. It'll have more impact than you ever can possibly imagine. Number two, leave behind the story of of God's work, of what God has done in your life. Leave behind that story. Stay so focused on him that there is a story to tell. Joshua, and really the Lord, as he spoke to the nation of Israel, had this resounding message. Don't forget, don't forget everything that I've done for you. And let that life play out in you. Don't forget the land you live in, I gave that to you. The good food of forgiveness and cleansing and joy and peace. I gave to you. You didn't earn them by your efforts. Stay focused on me for the future because I have done all this based on my love for you. Apollo 13, the flight to the moon was interrupted and almost became a tragedy. Uh, Jim Lovell had to make a resounding decision. They didn't have enough energy for a return trip and he had to shut his computers down which conserved energy in Apollo 13 but it didn't allow them to use the computerized steering mechanism as they re-entered. There were 39 seconds that were crucial to keep the capsule pointed toward Earth. So Jim Lovell made this decision. He said, we need a reference point. As we look out these small little windows, they chose the reference point of, of their destination, Earth itself. That's how he kept his hand on the steering mechanism to keep a straight path. And those 39 seconds passed, and they re-entered and made it. Out the small window of the capsule, they had a reference point. What's your reference point in life? I'm telling you, if, you're, if it's yourself, you'll run into walls and trip over stuff all of your life. If it's other people, they will run you into the pond. It has to be God. It has to be Jesus Christ. He has to be the sole center life and focus of your life. When he is... The capsule lands to the destination. You make it through everything because our eyes are upon him and him alone. Whatever you're going through, whatever God sends you through, whatever you have to deal with in life, we look to him. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ to stay encouraged, to stay on the path, not to forget 
There's a story to tell. And number three, you know one life can make a difference? Joshua, in the end of this book, and you can read the rest of the chapter, he said, he said, all that God's done, choose. Choose this day who you will serve. The gods of the Canaanites? You choose. I'm not choosing for you, he says. And then that great verse when he says, as for me, I love this, and my house. <laughs> he's not checking. He's not checking with him. He's, he's taking him along with him as the leader. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't affect, I can't affect anybody else, but I can choose myself. And when I choose myself, the powerful impact of that one single life that God is using spreads like wildfire. It works. In the life of Joshua, they never steered away. In the life of all these men, these officers and elders of Israel, during their lifetime, Israel stayed true. It was that next generation that started going down the wrong path. But the men listening to this day, they chose too to follow the Lord. In 1845, one vote brought Oliver Cromwell control of England, gave him control. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy, monarchy to a republic. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the, the presidency of the United States. And in 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party. One voice, one vote. God can work through you and through me. You don't have to change everybody. You don't have to fix everybody. You don't have to choose for them. They have to choose. But when you choose, it's an amazing thing that happens. They see the powerful impact of God.